May the words of the mouth of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. Be seated. I suppose I should start off with a small confession. And that is that of uh, the gospel the gospel readings that we have appointed for the lectionary, I, I've often found it hard to get excited about the healing stories. I've often sort of overlooked those and neglected those. For me, when I'm reading the gospels and you know Jesus is telling me what I should do or you know giving commandments and that's, that I can see the, the application of that to me. Here's something either I should do or I shouldn't do, and that's something I can, I can take away from that. Um, even, you know, some of the stories of some of the miracles, like the death and the resurrection, that, that gives us um, amazing hope about our, you know, our own mortality and the, the way our own lives uh, are in God's care in a way that um, I find very edifying. I can definitely easily see the, the edification in that. Um, and so, you know, generally, I, you know, I find the, the gospel is very compelling, but when I get to these healing stories, I don't quite know what to do with them all the time. It's like, okay, so it's, it, it seems um, like something worth knowing that Jesus healed people, but what does that mean to me as a believer? Does that mean anything different in the way that I should believe about the world or the way that I should act or anything like that? So I've often struggled with the healing stories from the gospels. And honestly, my first instinct when I saw that um, epistle from Corinthians and then the healing gospel story, I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll, do, the, I'll do the epistle. That'll be, that'll be much more straightforward to preach on. Um, but slowly and surely, the, the uh, Holy Spirit kept moving my heart towards this gospel story. And I'm glad he did because I think there's rich reward in really looking at this story and contemplating it. So maybe you're like me, maybe, maybe, maybe not. Um, but if you are like me, what's a way that we can approach these healing stories where we can get everything out of them that is there to get? And I think to do that, we really have to think deeply and imaginatively about two things. First, what did this miracle mean to the man who is healed? Secondly, what does this miracle mean for us as believers? What is the evangelist, what is the gospel writer trying to tell us about our own life with Jesus? If we, if we consider those two things, I think the richness of this story and then the other healing stories will become apparent. So starting with that first, uh, that first question of what did it mean for this man to be healed of his deafness and his um, speech impediment. And I don't personally know very well anyone who's deaf. You may have friends or family members that are deaf where all that you, you know, you are very familiar with what it's like to live with that condition. But for me, I'm not very familiar with it. So I, I went out and I, and I did a little bit of research on, on deafness, not, not a ton, but I listened to a lecture, a TED talk given by a lady who has deafness. And it was very interesting. It was very insightful. And so I want to start out just with a little exercise, okay? This will be best if you're, if you're somewhere where you can kind of see me, okay? We're going to have a little exercise here. Uh, I'm going to see how good you guys are at reading lips, 
okay? Because as a deaf person, that's the only way you can understand somebody who's talking to you is by reading their lips, okay? So I'm going to say something, and we'll see how well you can read my lips. Did you get that? Well, that was the Lord's Prayer, of course. Now, you might think I'm cheating a little bit. I said it in Latin instead of in English. Is that, am I just being, am I just being, <laughs> am I just being wicked and unfair? Not exactly, because no language is native to the womb. None of us come out of the womb knowing a language. We all have to learn the language from our parents as a foreign language. And so that's the position that a deaf person is in, having to learn a language from their parents not knowing it. They have to work out just from the motions of the mouth what kind of sounds are being made so that they can reproduce them for themselves. And as you can see, my goodness, to learn, to learn Latin with me speaking to you would take a long time. Imagine how difficult, great the, greater the difficulty is to try to learn Latin from me without being able to hear anything I'm saying. And that's the situation that this man that was brought to Jesus was in. Because he could not hear, he could not speak properly. And the TED talk that I listened to, the lady who gave it, had gone through years of intensive speech therapy to try to, as near as she could, reproduce the sounds that people that can hear make when they speak. And she said she would go through these exercises of putting her hands on the throat of her therapist so that she could feel where the sounds were coming from as her teacher spoke. And even with those intensive years of speech therapy, you could clearly tell that she did not speak normally. And I don't mean anything against her by saying this, but it, the way she spoke was difficult to listen to because of, uh, it was almost like listening to like a thick accent of some type. But that was the situation that this man that was brought to Jesus was in. Uh, we know uh, even today with, with everything that's available in sign language and the therapies and the treatments that are available, most deaf people um, never attain a uh, adult level of fluency in reading because it's so much difficult, more difficult to assimilate language when you can't hear. Uh, and their ability to communicate, unless they're around people that are fluent in sign language and other forms of communication with the deaf, their ability to communicate is very limited. So this man who was brought to Jesus was leading a very isolated and a very impoverished existence. He, this, this was back before they had developed sign languages and all these kinds of therapies to try to get people to speak. Uh, he was not someone who was allowed to use his voice to be a member of his community. Um, he probably could speak a little bit. The word that's used here means he could speak with difficulty or he could barely speak. Um, but he probably did not speak in a way that anyone wanted to listen to. He spoke in probably a way that made a lot of people assume that he was too dumb to speak properly. He was in a state of ostracism from his community, most likely. But there were people that cared about him enough to bring him to Jesus. And it says that they asked him to heal him of his, of his infirmity. And Jesus agrees to this, and he proceeds to heal it in a very 
unusual fashion. A very, very strange set of motions that Jesus goes through here. First, he puts his fingers in the man's ears. In the, in, if you were listening to it and you were wondering, is Jesus putting his fingers in his own ears or the man's ears? It's definitely the man's ears. You can, it's ambiguous in English, but you can definitely tell from the Greek that he inserts his fingers into this man's ears. And then he spits, Jesus spits, and he uh, touches the tongue. He grabs the tongue of the person whom he's about to heal. Um, very strange, very unusual, and only St. Mark actually reports these details of this particular healing to us. St. Mark, as an evangelist, kind of has a reputation for being the Associated Press gospel, just everything very brief to the point, let's move on to the next thing, and to a certain extent that characterization is accurate. But if you pay close attention to the way Mark tells stories, he really has a memory for visual details that get left out of a lot of the other gospels. And it really stuck with Mark, clearly, from this gospel narrative, the phys these physical motions that Jesus made. And these have baffled some commentators on this passage. Some commentators have just uh, straight up said, we're not really sure why Jesus did these things. Not really, not very, very baffled by why he chose to make these particular motions. We know that in other situations, Jesus will heal with a word or by laying on of hands, or um, in one particular case, a healing happens because someone just touches Jesus without him even in being prepared for it necessarily. Uh, so we know that he's able to heal in all sorts of ways. But a lot of commentators are baffled why in this particular situation he chooses to heal the man in this particular way. But I think a clue about why he may have may come just from the nature of the man's disability. Jesus' healings are often in response to the faith of his hearers. It's often said in the Gospels that he couldn't do miracles here because people just didn't believe. Or Jesus will often say to someone he's healed, your, your faith has made you well. And it's, it seems very important in Jesus' ministry that healings are given to those who are responding in faith. Well, how is this deaf man going to respond in faith to what Jesus is about to do? It seems that Jesus doesn't think it's going to work to explain to him what he's about to do. The again, the communication that he can have with him is limited because of his condition. So Jesus chooses a way to interact with him that, in, as far as I can tell, was designed to provoke his faith. Do you believe that I can fix this? Do you believe that I can fix this? And when the man responded in faith, he was healed. So Jesus was willing to uh, adapt himself to a way of communication that he thought this person would understand rather than just trying to talk at him in a way that he knew would not be understood. It's, it's funny that the word um, condescending um, has a negative connotation in modern English, but it had a positive connotation in older English. Someone who condescended was someone who was willing to go down with you to where you needed to be to get what you needed. He, the, the condescending professor was the one who was willing to set aside his learning and set aside his terminology and set aside um, his superior understanding in order to communicate things to you in a way that you could understand. And so in the old and positive sense of the word, Jesus is condescending here. He's willing to adapt himself to 
the means of communication that this man can understand and appreciate and respond with in faith. And, Je- and then Jesus looks up to heaven. I think that's a key part too, right? Because he's indicating with his physical motion where the healing is going to come from, where this power is, is located. So I guess the lesson in this for us is not to, um, not to be too reluctant to choose what to us might not be the ideal way of communicating, but which gets the point across. You may think, well, in an, in an ideal world, we, I would just explain this in a different way. But in this situation and in this particular circumstance, that's the mode of communication this person needs. So we need to be willing to reach out that way. I guess I skipped to the application to us before, <laughs> but I'm sure you'll forgive me for that. Um, so he looked up to heaven, and he, and he says a word in, in Aramaic, which I practiced, but then I butchered when I read the gospel. Um, Ephatha, um, which means be opened. So it's almost, a, and if you look at the, the other connotations that this word can have, it means something that's closed in, that's confined, that's inhibited. And uh, he, what Jesus basically says is be free of this. Be free of this condition that's isolated from your, your community, that's, that's made you um, a, a pariah, that's robbed you of the ability to interact with those around you. Be free of that. And sure enough, it, it, it works. And uh, his uh, ears were opened. And because he can now hear, now he can speak as well. He can speak in a, in a normal fashion because he can hear. Can, he can hear well. And as usually happens in Mark's gospel, Jesus gives strict instructions. What are the instructions? Don't tell nobody about this. And what happens is what always happens is what they, they go and tell people about it. Um, the, what, what, the, this healing was um, so meaningful to this man that he couldn't help but go and tell other people about it, even though he was told not to. So uh, now let's pivot. Uh, that was what this healing meant for this man. What does it mean for us? And I think if we're going to apply this to us, we have to realize that through the fall of mankind, we lost the ability to hear God's word in the, way that we sh- in the ways that we should. Our sin inhibits us from hearing God. We are, so to speak, deaf to God's word in our natural condition. We do not want to hear him or heed him. And because of that, we don't speak the way that we should. Our words and our communication are not what they should be because we haven't learned to talk from the one whose word should teach us how to speak properly. And so one way to think about this, do you ever get bored during sermons? Not mine, of course. Other, other people's sermons are what I'm referring to. Honestly, though, do you get bored of, uh, with, with listening to sermons? Um, if somebody brings up a religious topic during the week, is there any part of you that says, ah, I heard about all that stuff on Sunday. This is for me to live, this is the rest of the week for me to live the rest of my life 
I'll go back to church on Sunday and hear another sermon, but I'm not interested in hearing about it right now. And I admit there have been times in my life when uh, I probably was not as eager to hear the word of God as I should have been. I, the idea of um, sitting down in the middle of the week and listening to a sermon was not something that would have occurred to me or struck me as an attractive idea. Um, the idea of sitting down and listening to a lecture about theology or the interpretation of God's word at many points in my life, even after I became a Christian, was not something that thrilled me or, or something I was necessarily interested in doing. Um, I thought, well, Sunday is the time for that. The rest of the week is for me to pursue my own interests. It's not that I'm indifferent to God, but I've already got the time for that. Let me spend the rest of the week on the things that I want to do. And what that represents is a kind of spiritual deafness. We should, be, we should be eager to hear God's word. We should be eager to hear sermons, whether in church or out of church, if, they, if we think they will be profitable for us. We should be uh, eager to hear what people have to say about theology and the interpretation of God's word. That doesn't mean we have to be listening to sermons 24-7 or that you can only listen to Christian music on the radio or, or some of these rules that people make up for themselves. If you, of course, if you, if you want to do that, that's fine too, but you don't have to. But um, we, it, it may be a, an opportunity for us to check ourselves there. Are we really uh, eager, are our ears really open to hear what God has to say to us every day? And one of the reasons we can tell that we're not as eager as we should be is not just what we listen to, but the words that come out of us then. Are we harsh with other people? Are we critical? Do we reprove them? Do we get frustrated and angry with people? It's because we haven't learned to speak the way that God would want us to speak. And we can't learn to speak that way unless we're first listening to God and le learning from him the way that he would have us speak. A lot of people think they have a problem getting angry with other people when at root, the problem is really that they're angry with God. It's easy to think that you're angry at the situation, that it's the situation that's making you frustrated when really you're, what your heart is crying out is, God, why did you put me in this situation? I don't deserve this. I don't deserve these problems. I don't deserve to have to deal with these people. If we're honest with ourselves, a lot of our anger and a lot of our frustration really starts there with God. And then it spills over into anger and criticism of other people. So we have to learn to listen to God and be right with God before we can then go out and learn how to speak in the right way to other people. And Augustine has a really <laughs> interesting comment on, uh, on, on the verse uh, uh, 34 where he t uh, tells them not to tell anybody, and, or 35. No, sorry, 36. My eyes are weird today. Um, where he tells them not to tell anybody and they go out and tell people. Augustine's like, why would, God, why would Jesus tell somebody not to do something, not to tell people about this, when he knows full well they're not going to listen to him and they're just going to go out and tell everybody about it? Why, why would he knowingly give a command 
that he knows is not going to get obeyed. And Augustine says, it's so that we can know that if someone who's forbidden to speak, but has been helped so much by Jesus that they can't help but disobey him and go out and tell everybody about it, how much more should we, who have received so much from Jesus and been commanded to tell other people about him, how much more should we be out there doing that? If this, if this deaf and, and, and dumb man couldn't help but go out and use the tongue that God had now given him to spread this message of his power and his healing and what Jesus Christ had done for them, how can we be so reluctant to do the same thing when we're actually commanded to do it? We're not forbidden to do it. We're actually commanded to do it. How can we be so reluctant? And again, the answer might be that we're not speaking the right way because we're not listening the right way. Maybe we need to listen more. Maybe we need to make more time for a sermon in the middle of the week or to hear from some good teacher of God's word or reputable theologian about what God is like and how we can know him and worship him better. And then perhaps our speech will respond to that. Is there someone in, in your life right now that needs to hear the gospel, that needs to hear what Jesus Christ has done for you? Could that possibly make a difference to someone that you know personally? Let's, let's be like this, like this man that was healed. Let's be eager to go out and tell people about what Jesus Christ has done for us. And of course, a part of the problem of that is that sometimes you're going to be running into people that are spiritually deaf. If, you're, if we're not like this, if you can't identify with that, surely you know somebody who's like that. Anytime you try to bring up the topic of God or of uh, Jesus, their ears are just closed to it. They won't listen to it. Some, that's, that's the, as we know, that's the natural condition of our sinful state. But if we know someone like that, what we need to do is bring that person to Jesus in prayer. And Jesus is reigning at God's right hand, is still able to heal these infirmities. He's able to heal our spiritual deafness. He's able to open our ears so that we can hear the word of God and then respond rightly to it. Let's make sure that if we have somebody like that in our life, that we're lifting them up in prayer. Um, I don't really like that phrase, lifting up in prayer, but you know what I mean. That we're praying for those people. And the reaction of this healing from the crowds is astonishment. And the reaction is to say that Jesus has done all things well. That's, that's the uh, final uh, thing that we know from this gospel is that Jesus has done all things well. Will we fully realize how he has done all things well in this life? I don't think so. I think there's gonna, still gonna be plenty of stuff that happens to us that we don't understand why that was well. I think there's going to be plenty of challenges we are encountering and going through in, the, in that moment that we don't see the purpose of it or how this is how God is doing all things well. But we have a promise given to us in Scripture, and it's in the uh, book of Revelations, one of the most beautiful chapters in Scripture. And the promise is given there that when the heavenly Jerusalem comes down to earth, and God makes his dwelling place with man, he will wipe away every tear. 
every tear that we've had to cry and the challenges that we've faced and the evils that we've undergone will be wiped away on that day. And we will confess, just as these people in our gospel reading confessed, you have done all things well. Lord, you've done all things well. Do I struggle with that? For sure I do. For sure I do. But I believe. Lord, help my unbelief. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that our ears would be opened to you. That if we've had trouble listening to you lately, that we've had, if we've had trouble taking in your word, if we have had trouble listening to you that's manifested itself in, in a critical way of speaking towards other people, that you would open our ears and that our tongues would be loosed not to speak our own desires, but to speak words of love and edification unto others. And that you would empower us to go forth from here and be sent out and proclaim your gospel to someone who needs to hear it. And that you would work that same miracle for that person that needs to hear your gospel, that their ears would be opened and that they would be brought to faith in you. Lord, we confess our doubts. We confess that there are times when we do not think you have done all things well. We confess there are times when we think we've been forgotten by you because we're laboring under adversity and we feel isolated and we feel alone. We pray that you would encourage our hearts, Lord, and help us to turn in those moments to you in love, to offer you our weakness, to offer you our anxiety, to offer you our tears in the faith and confidence that on that great day that your scripture promises us, you will wipe away all our tears. And we'll be able to say and confess to you, you have done all things well. Amen.